Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and today we're going to be talking about the sun's ingress into the third decan of Aquarius. So this is 20 to 30 degrees of Aquarius, so the last 10 degrees of the sun's movement through the house of Saturn, the diurnal home of Saturn. So we're going to be uh, looking at a few aspects, including Mercury's retrograde Kazemi, uh, or inferior conjunction with the sun that's happening on February the 8th. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the new moon in Aquarius 3. Um, I'm going to do a, another video on that as well, but we'll, we'll touch on it here and talk a little bit about some conjunctions with the fixed star Sal del Sud and Deneb el Gedi. So uh, that is what we're looking at for this particular video. We will, of course, do an I Ching reading to, uh, you know, unpack some of the essence of this transit and hopefully give you some useful advice for navigating it with grace. So let's take a look at our chart. Hope that you're all doing well out there, hanging in there through Aquarius season. It is, I always find it a little bit challenging I'm a, a Leo ascendant, so uh, the sun is my chart ruler. So I always find Aquarius season a little bit, uh, a little bit difficult, a little bit kind of um, of a hibernation sequence for for myself, and where um, you know the the light of the sun is it's at its weakest point. Um, so rough sledding for for Leos out there right now, or Leo risings. I know that when I was um, you know, preparing for this video, I just saw flash across my Instagram feed um, a an Olympic swimmer, a very successful Olympic swimmer who is a Leo son, Sarah Sostrom, uh, fell on the ice in her home of Stockholm, Sweden, and broke her elbow uh, roughly, you know, five months out from uh, her appearance in the 2021 Olympics. So, you know, like I said, tough tough going for, for our Leo friends out there. And I wish her a speedy recovery. She's had a lot of success uh, in her swimming career and seems to be uh, a nice person on top of that. Um, but yeah, this may be a, a point in time where you may not be uh, on top of the, <laughs> of the wheel of fortune, I guess. And, and that brings with it its own lessons and its own lessons of detachment and its own lessons of being able to deal with uh, adverse circumstances. And we'll try to unpack a little bit of that as we go along, because um, that might be something that we are all feeling with the sun creating a focal point with um, you know, Aquarius and, and really shining a spotlight on Saturn. So the sun ha has the, some of the key words and some of the key essential natures of awareness uh, and impulse, how we gain vitality. Um, and we may be doing that through the Saturnian qualities of detachment, leaving behind the known through, you know, an awareness of our of our darkness, um, through abandoning the past, ab abandonment, and uh, being able to, uh, you know, move forward from something is is kind of a Saturnian quality as well. Uh, feelings of being disregarded, of being uh, discarded. Uh, those are also some Saturnian themes that we're, we've been focusing on with the sun moving through this area of the zodiac. Um, we may be aware in, of a growing frustration 
uh, with some kind of debt that we've been experiencing. Saturn was a planet that bound us to some karmic ties, some karmic debts. And we are trying to unravel that knot in this third decan of Aquarius. Um, this is an area of the zodiac where we are becoming aware of the dues that we have to pay and trying to figure out if we've done our time and if it's time to move on and what have we learned from the past and what can we carry with us? What wisdom can we carry with us into the, into the future, into the new experience so that we're not continually repeating old uh, narratives and old habits and, um, you know, being able to release some of the things that, that aren't serving us anymore. Okay, so one of the things we're talking about, desire to cut ties, uh, discarding your position in life, uh, having certain ideas about the past. Uh, it is opposite the seven of wands. So when we're talking about the tarot, we're looking at the seven of swords with this decan of Aquarius. And it has to do with a figure who is carrying five swords and looking over his shoulder to an encampment. He's kind of sneaking away um, from this kind of place of stability. Maybe there was uh, a defeat that happened that we saw in the five of wand, I'm sorry, the five of swords, which we saw in the first decade of Aquarius. And then people were going off into the fringe. In the six of swords, we saw a figure being um, ferried across a river into a new reality. And then in the seven of swords, we are leaving the known completely. So we have this kind of story as we move through the uh, Aquarian placements. And uh, so this is a great time to really examine what uh, you've learned um, to, from your successes and from your failures. I think that's really important. I think that a lot of the times when we have uh, the sun in Aquarius, we can, we can experience a sort of defeat, a Saturnian um, readjustment that can feel like a punishment, that can feel like a failure. Uh, we may be afraid of the future and, and have difficulty leaving behind the past. Um, we may be holding on to some old karmic entanglements that, that really are um, ready to be uh, released, but it may be challenging because we don't necessarily know what's on the other side, and that can be scary. Um, but we need to, to really connect, I think, with our inner knowledge to lead us through that darkness and have faith that we are what we are moving towards is just, is fair, um, that the universe has our best interest in mind. I think that's a difficult thing to do sometimes is have faith that um, fate and karma are working in our favor because uh, sometimes it feels like they aren't. Sometimes it feels like they are enemies. And one of the, I think the, the most important acts of faith that you can have is, you know, trying to work with the divine and work with nature and work with the Tao and, and to trust in the process. And again, that's, that's where the practice, the spiritual practices come in is because, you know, the world of form isn't always fair. It isn't always just on the surface, but we have to have faith that there is some kind of uh, organized system in place that is leading us to some kind of spiritual awareness eventually, hopefully. 
All right, let's talk a little bit about the condition of Saturn. So the the condition, I'm sorry, the condition of the sun in Saturn's sign. So the sun is in its exile in the sign of Aquarius. Um, it will be co-present with its host, Saturn. Um, it will be moving through the terms or the bounds of Mars from 20 to 25 degrees of Aquarius, and then moving through Saturn's terms from 25 to 30 degrees. So we talked about bound rulers as curriculum setters on this program, and now we have the two malefics uh, as curriculum setters. And that can, can lead to a, a, an experience that is a little bit more challenging, that is requiring some more mental discipline, uh, bringing us some experiences that we may not find pleasure in, but are necessary to move us forward to the next chapter of our life. So this is the time to really like steal yourself, to kind of buckle up and to uh, really, you know, recognize that this is a temporary thing, but it, but the, the pain of today may be leading to a future liberation. Okay. So that's something to keep in mind. The face rulers in this decan are the moon and Venus. So we have the moon by the descending Chaldean order system and Venus by the triplicity system. We've talked about the tarot card, the Seven of Swords. Book T calls that card unstable effort, where the Book of Toth calls it futility. So some, uh, some difficult terms in, in describing this deck. And Austin Coppett calls it the knot. And he describes a lot of the frustrations that happen in this area of the zodiac due to feeling like we are bound to something, that we have uh, old um, you know, old ties that we have to untangle, uh, that we have things that we want to move away from. And it's not just the, the, the act of leaving, it's everything that leads up to this. So this could be the point where you're just sick of it and you're ready to move forward and you finally are uncomfortable enough to make a change. I think that's the key. Like human beings are, are creature comfort people. Uh, we, are, we are creatures of comfort, and it is difficult for us sometimes to move forward to our new realities, even if they are painful ones. Sometimes we get comfortable with the devil we know rather than the devil that we don't, um, and that is uh, something to think about during this time of, of fixed air, this sun shining its light on a fixed sign where we may have trouble making change. Um, but this, this last 10 degrees is preparing us for a return to faith, a return to belief, a return to finding a sense of purpose that we will uncover in the sign of Pisces, a Jupiter-ruled sign, where we are bridging um, our experience with, with maybe the higher self and going off into the labyrinths of our mind to search for meaning. We may have you know, experience some kind of material success, but that material success may not have brought us happiness. And once everything starts shifting into Pisces, that's where, where we really start questioning um, why we're doing what we're doing. And it may lead us into um, an exploration of our imaginations to try to find that sense of hope again. The daimon associated with this decan is Osiris. Now, this is interesting because Osiris is kind of a holdover from the Egyptian Deccan system. So th these Deccans are very old. They, they are uh, ever-changing. 
because of procession and because of different cultural mythological systems. Um, but the Greeks were really uh, a culture that that held um, Egypt in very high esteem, and they borrowed a lot of their oh their their cultural organization from Egypt and a lot of their knowledge base and a lot of their you know cosmological um, musings from them. And Osiris was a deity that was associated with death and resurrection, a transition to the afterlife, to a new world. I believe Austin Coppett calls this a menti in his book, 36 Faces, which was a home to the gods. So it wasn't just this obliteration of death. It was the transition into a, 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 new, a new life, sort of, so to speak, and a, a place where you could you know, be close to, to the deities themselves. Uh, so questions to ask yourself with both this card and with Osiris, um, what will you carry with you to the great beyond? There was uh, some associations with Osiris of mummification. And in Egyptian culture, uh, they had very specific rituals and rites about um, burying the dead with certain objects that would help them with their transition to the afterlife, things that they needed. Uh, and one of the stories of Osiris goes is that he was um, murdered by his brother Set, who was uh, maybe jealous of his power. And he was trapped in a box and floated down a river, and his pieces were kind of scattered around, okay? Like he was cut up into pieces. And his wife, Isis, uh, was very sad about this and tried to collect all of the pieces of Osiris and reunify them into a, a, li a temporarily living being. And the story goes that she did was, was able to resurrect him but only long enough to, to mate with him and procreate. And from that union was born Horus, okay? So after Horus was born, Osiris became the lord of the underworld because his, his form couldn't hold. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a permanent resurrection. So I, I really, when I was meditating on this, uh, this video and this Deccan and this tarot card, I saw some similarities in someone collecting the swords in the Seven of, of Swords to Isis collecting the pieces of Osiris. So it really, it comes back to that theme of what are you going to collect to bring with you to the, to the crossing, to the next reality that you're going to be experiencing? What is of value and what do you have to leave behind? And how can you re reunify that old wisdom long enough to create a new birth. I think that's key, especially with the new moon on, on February the 11th, is we are having a new birth of sorts. And with Mercury Kazemi, this is a week that we're going to be experiencing seminal moments. And those seminal moments are really going to be speaking about leaving the past behind. Okay. Um, so yes, that, I think that's something to, to think about is Isis collecting the pieces. And in your own life, how can you be Isis to collect the, the wisdom from the past and discard that which is no longer serving you? Okay, let's talk about some of the specific aspects. I'm going to go to one chart here. And we're going to look at February the 8th. So the sun ingresses into Aquarius 3 on Monday, February the 8th at 8.21 or so in the morning, Eastern time. 
And this is very, very close to the time period that Mercury is making Gazemi. So we not only do we have the sun moving into the third decan of Aquarius, but it's going to meet with Hermes in the underworld, right? So Hermes is moving through the underworld in its psychopomp journey, uh, reviewing the past and looking for wisdom and is going to meet up with the sun, the furnace of the sun, to be cleansed, to be reborn, to burn away the dross of our past and of our history so that we can have new um, communications, we can have new understandings, we can have new abilities to move throughout our world, um, potentially through different uh, boundaried sections. That was one of Hermes' gifts, was the ability to move throughout uh, one world to the next, like through the land of the living to the land of the dead, the land of form to the land of, of the Olympian gods. Um, so definitely someone who is traveling between, between different realities. So Mercury is going through this birth moment and seeding uh, our minds and our experience with a new cycle. So the inferior conjunction, which is what it's called when Mercury is going retrograde and makes a conjunction with the sun, okay, going this way, going uh, in the primary motion, that's the new start for Mercury, okay? And eventually it will pass over the sun and become a morning star. It will emerge from under the beams at roughly 15 degrees. Uh, of separate arc of separation from the sun, that that is a, a a a distance where literally in the sky, you you are able to see Mercury at sunrise again because the sun is so bright it blocks out everything within 15 degrees of of arc um, on either side of it. So planets uh, quote unquote disappear when they are very close to the sun. Um, this is kind of like, you know, being under the beams and, you know, having, uh, being burned by the rays of the sun. It, there was an old adage about, you know, you, you, you don't want to get too close to the king or you will in, inflame his rage, right? Um, and there are certain conditions that can protect you from that. I've been having some discussions about uh, a planet in its chariot, which was a, an, an old ancient chariot was a vehicle that had like a hood on it, like, a, like an umbrella that was able to shade its rider from the heat of the sun. And there are certain conditions like being a planet being in, in its own domicile or in its own exaltation or terms, according to the ancient author Rhetorius, that would protect a planet from being um, burned by the sun. Now, I don't know if we have that condition with Mercury here. I'm going to take a look. Mercury is in its own triplicity. So it didn't specifically mention triplicity as a condition of chariot for Mercury. Um, but I do think that when the planet is Kazemi, that does bring out some of the latent potentials when it's within one degree, according to the Hellenistic authors of, of the sun that does concentrate that energy and kind of, I would say that that might be in a condition of protection as well. Don't quote me on that, but that's my, that's my working theory at the moment. Um, so look at the areas of your life that are part of this narrative. So really the focal point is the Aquarius house. Okay. So like 
if you have uh, all this stack up of planets in the ninth house, for example, you may be really getting some new ideas about your belief systems and why you are doing what you're doing, why you take the actions in the world that you do. There may be something about needing to take some kind of pilgrimage to find meaning, whether it's in your mind or whether it's physical or whatnot. Um, if it's in the 11th house, there could be some new ideas about the groups that you are part of and the support systems that you have out in the world and so on and so forth throughout the zodiac. Like if it's in the fourth house, there could be a new beginning in your sense of family within your home, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but one thing that I want you to do, if you want to get a practical understanding of this, is don't just look at the Aquarius house, because that, that's where a lot of the action is going to take place. But Mercury is going to be providing uh, resources for both the Virgo house and the Gemini house, because that is the, the um, those are the two houses that it is host of. So through this particular house, it will be extending significations and resources and helping you to create a new start in those areas of your life as well. So this is one really important concept in traditional astrology is not only seeing where the planet is, but what does the planet provide for that can give you some insight into how that's going to play out in your life. Okay, so that's the Kazemi um, that we're experiencing on February the 8th at 20 degrees of Aquarius. Uh, I'll be very curious about this. This happens to be the exact degree of my south node in the seventh house. So we'll see what that brings. I'll, I'll report back later and see if it was uh, a positive experience. I hope it will be. Um, on February the 11th, though, we have a very important moment where we are going to see, we are going to see a new moon. So let's go exactly to the degree of this new moon. And there is this really nice search feature on uh, Astral Gold, which is the program I'm using here. It was that was introduced to me by a, a very nice astrologer named Melissa Lafara. She kind of got me hip to this little magnifying glass here where you can search ingresses and all of these things. And it's been really helpful for streamlining, um, finding uh, cool things to, to talk about. So on February the 11th, uh, at around 2.05 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're going to be seeing the conjoining of the sun and the moon at 23 degrees of Aquarius. Now, this is a very important moment because, as you can see, there is quite an emphasis on Aquarian planets here. We have one, two, three, four, five, six traditional planets hanging out in Aquarius. That is uh, quite a stellium. And so that is really going to put a lot of emphasis on that particular area of our life. Now, we do have one uh, traditional planet that is not in Aquarius, and that's Mars. So we've got all these, all these Aquarian planets squaring Mars. And this may be really leading to a feeling of a shakeup of our stability, of, of the things that we counted on for our uh, material security. So that's one thing to, to consider with this new moon. Um, this, this, uh, there's been some things circulating in the astrological community about 
this is the first time in 400 years that we've had six planets in Aquarius and, and, and this and that, but that actually is not true. Um, we did have a stack up of six planets in Aquarius on February the 5th, 1962. And I went back and did a little bit of research to see what the vibe of that time was. Um, it was interesting. The, the kind of the themes I was seeing is there was a lot of nuclear tests that were happening. Uh, there was a trade embargo with Cuba that, that started to become more prominent in the news. This was the beginning of a lot of, um, of the bus boycotts in the civil rights movement. So there was a real, um, real concentration on civil rights during that period of time. Uh, we had a lot of themes of space travel coming up as well. This was around the period of time that John Glenn became the first man to, to orbit the Earth. Uh, and a lot of themes of, of going into the unknown and into the great beyond, of a focal point of, of bringing about fairness and equality and social justice. Um, a lot of focal points on the, the folks that had been cast aside in society, uh, the you know, people in a, in a minority position or those who were not in power and trying to empower them. So I think they, these are themes that we're going to be seeing repeated. And we may feel like we're being separated from a sense of stability, but again, that's where the faith comes in. Uh, we are going to have to shake up the way that we distribute resources, the way that we have always created material security, if we want to have a society that is more fair and more just for a greater amount of people. Now, this new moon is going to be conjoined two fixed stars. Uh, one is called Sal Dal Sud, and the other is called Deneb Al-Gedi, or Al-Jedi, and I'm not exactly sure the pronunciation. We'll go with Al-Gedi for today. And Sal Dal Sud was in the shoulder of Aquarius, and I'm going to go over to my star chart for a minute just to kind of give you an idea of what we're looking at here. Oops, we'll get rid of that. Okay, so here is the sun at uh, hanging out in the, in the third decan. Here's the new moon. I'm going to zoom in a little bit. And you can see we've got, there is Venus. There's Jupiter. I believe we've got Saturn right here. There's the sun. Mercury's hanging out in there somewhere. We just got this whole giant stack up. And you can see it's right on the shoulder of Aquarius. Here's Sal del Sud. And also it's conjoined this fixed star Deneb El Jedi, which is in the tail of Capricorn. Sal del Sud had a, a moniker that was, was uh, translates roughly to luckiest of the lucky. Uh, the Sumerians called it the mighty destiny. Um, and Burnett Brady talks about this as being a very fortunate fixed star. Some of the other authors I was looking at uh, was, was not as hopeful as Miss Brady. Um, I believe Diana Rosenberg's book um, talked about extremes of good and evil. Um, but the theme that kept coming up was rising above rage, violence, div divisiveness, to be able to move humanity forward. And Saad El Sud was kind of like the, the waters that were purifying some of the impure uh, aspects of humanity. Um, because a lot of the times when we uh, are experiencing change, we have to bring the corruption to our awareness to be able to motivate us to, to make the change. Because a lot of times we can just become complacent because of our ignorance. So that's why we see, I think, some of the extremes of, of uh, our human condition in this area of the zodiac. 
Now, Deneb El-Jedi was, was a little bit more about um, creation of law. It was an ancient lawgiver, establishment of new customs and systems. So again, throughout this purification process, we may be establishing new social contracts with one another and you know, leaving uh, a corrupt past behind and being able to establish a new system that is, is again, more fair for the, for the more amount of people. And there's going to be resistance. There's going to be resistance from the haves. Uh, there's going to be outcry from the have-nots. And we're always kind of getting this um, balancing um, condition. I think this is something that, that I like to meditate on quite often is that image of the yin and the yang and the the a little bit of light being born in the darkness and a little bit of darkness being born in the light. And they're constantly informing one another in a sense of wholeness. And like I said, to, to have the seed of the new start, sometimes we have to experience uh, negativity. We have to experience kind of the, the dark side of things to, to foster that new seed. And, and sometimes when we're creating new systems and we're creating new hopeful uh, social customs, that can also be planting the seed of a future corruption and a future darkness. And, and the cycle continues to, to move in and out of one another into infinity. So again, taking the balanced viewpoint, taking the middle path, as the Buddha would say, I think is always a wise decision, avoiding any extremes of, of belief, I think, or action um, is something that was hard for me to understand as a young person. My dad taught me this. My dad was a, a person who was very, I don't know, he, he passed up a lot of uh, opportunities to advance to the heights of his particular profession. And I never really understood that. He's a Pisces with a lot of Aquarius uh, in his chart. And I, I always kind of was like, well, why do you settle for mediocrity? And, and I, I, in my youth, I would, you know, <laughs> just really, you know, in my, in my Leo rising youth, uh, I would just kind of, I don't know, almost berate him for it. And I never quite understood uh, his viewpoint. And as I've gotten older, um, I really started to appreciate the, the balance that he preached. He always pre preached balance to me. He always preached, you know, the middle path. And what I mistook for me mediocrity was, was temperance. And I think it's important to recognize that sometimes. I, and I want to say that um, and I don't want to make this about me, um, but I think that sharing personal anecdotes can be helpful sometimes. As a, a Leo person, um, a Leo rising person with the sun in the 12th house, so I'm not saying that my, all of my actions have always been uh, in my own best interest, sometimes quite the opposite. But one of the feelings that I get as a Leo person um, and maybe this will help us understand Aquarius too, because Aquarius is the opposite of this, uh, is I, I have a, a desire sometimes to, to dominate like the sun, like, and I'm, like I said, it's not always a healthy impulse, but like the sun, I, I want to shine my rays and my beams and I want to like shine brightly. And I used to be, I used to go to these open mics and play music and I'd go in with this, oh, I don't know, this, this arrogance of like, I'm going to uh, completely 
uh, embarrass anybody that comes after me on the stage. Well, that was my thought, you know, and I, 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 I'm not saying it was a healthy thought. It, and in my, you know, more elder uh, experience, I can realize that that can be uh, just a function of some insecurity. That can be a function of, you know, just not necessarily the most healthy mindset. And, and I've experienced quite a bit of humbling and humility um, when I have pursued that impulse. Um, the universe has knocked me down uh, a number of pegs, and I'm grateful for it. I, I, you know, this is a thing that you need to realize about 12th house pl planets. Sometimes uh, it's a corrective measure. Um, it's the joy of Saturn. And we've talked about on this show about hubris and uh, how that is the greatest offense punishable by the gods. And um, sometimes when we have 12th house stuff going on, we get, we get knocked down a peg, but it's, it's a course correction. It's a, it's a rebalancing and restoring of right proportion. And in my life as a 12th house son, I've had uh, many instances of ego shattering. And uh, it's led me, like the tower card, though, to spiritual truth, to a connection with my higher self and with, with soul. And being able to release these material ambitions um, has led me to a much more temperate, balanced experience. And I think that's what my, my father was trying to teach me as a, as a young person. And um, yeah, just something that's really been on my mind lately is we have this stack up in Aquarius um, because it is such an alien experience to, to what, you know, I might experience as a, as a you know, personal uh, Leonine type of person. So this is going to lead us, I think, into our hexagram. I hope that's helpful for you. I know that's just some more personal sharing. Uh, I try to incorporate some vulnerability into this show sometimes, and hopefully by sharing some of my, both my successes and my failures as a person, that will help uh, you to understand yourself and the astrology. I only have my own experience, I think, to, to draw upon with any sense of certainty. Um, I can try to understand where other people are coming from, but I think ultimately when we speak from our own hearts and we speak from our own experience, that's the, the only real truth I think that you can feel 100% uh, confidence in. And um, doesn't mean we don't try to have empathy. Empathy is important, but I, I feel like the, the ultimate authority I have is, is just my own experience. And I think that's true for anyone. And I think that that's, that's really something to think about too. Okay, let's talk about the hexagram with this because this one is pretty interesting. And I think it piggybacks off of the story I've been telling um, with humility. Uh, I like to do an I Ching reading for all of my videos now. I Ching is something that I've really been drawn to for a long time. I think I started studying it in college roughly 20 years ago. <laughs> it's good. It's uh, sometimes I'm just in awe of how quickly time moves. Um, but I'm starting to get a little bit better understanding of it as I grow older and study it and work with it more. It's a, it's a, it's a challenging 
uh, oracle to work with. It is it is very direct, but it's also very uh, it can be cagey. So this is something that we'll continue to study. I am by no means an expert in it, but I, I've practiced with it quite a for quite a length of time. And I just really enjoy its advice. I, I feel like using the I Ching is something that gives me um, an awareness of what, what nature is trying to move towards. What I like about it too is it's, I don't think it's judgmental. I, I think that it gives you, uh, it always gives you a, an a direction to move into, even if that direction or that choice is stillness or, um, you know, letting go of an old belief system, it always gives you something functional to work with. And that's what I, I really appreciate about it. So hexagram number 23 is what came up. And that's honestly, that hexagram has been coming up a lot in my readings uh, during Aquarius season. I really think that part of the essence of Aquarius in general is uh, this hexagram number 23, which is called stripping away or falling apart. So the questions that come up in Hillary Barrett's translation, one of the ones that I, I've really been leaning on recently is, what is worn out? Is there a less painful way to let this go? What is underneath the surface? Uh, and this talks about pruning back the old dead wood to prepare for new growth. So the whole story that we've seen in the tarot is some kind of defeat, some kind of illusion maybe that we have come to an awareness of that we need to let go, some kind of humbling uh, that we are, that will cause us to, to change and cause us to leave our past behind. And again, I think in Aquarius, this is really has to do with old belief systems. Um, we're in an air, a fixed air sign. It has to do with Saturn and seeing the big picture and how do you fit in with the big picture? Are you part of the haves or are, party, are you part of the have-nots? What role are you playing in, in creating justice, creating fairness? Um, and sometimes we have to, to uh, eliminate that which has become overgrown, outdated, uh, that has become corrupt. Uh, remember, the malefic planets Saturn and Mars are very necessary in the the growth cycle and the decay cycle. We have to have uh, decay with growth. We have to have um, rest with action. Uh, all of those things are, are, are informing one another like that yin-yang symbol. Okay, so that we did have one uh, changing line right at the bottom. It was a material changing line. So one of the, the kind of new awarenesses I've been having with the I Ching is that the lower three lines have more to do with the earthly experience and the upper three more about the idealistic realm. So this is a more physical uh, changing line. And this has to do with foundations. And I quote, stripping away the bed uh, by way of its supports to disregard constancy will create pitfall. Okay, so this is talking about uh, a stripping away of that which maybe our almost essential stability, right? And I really think that Mars plays a role in this because Mars is a severing and separating planet that is hanging out in the second decan of Taurus where we may feel uh, our material security, um, you know, going away. 
And that can be very painful uh, when we see that we're no longer able to do things in the same rhythm, in the same way, in the same condition that we've always done it that has brought us success in the past. And all of these Aquarius planets are in the overcoming square to Mars and really exerting an enormous amount of power and pressure on uh, the Taurus planets to be able to uh, encourage us to move, move forward with new rhythms. Um, and again, that can lead us to feeling really unmoored. Um, but one of the things that this changing line talks about is staying connected to your inner knowledge. Uh, it says that evil encroaches upon the virtuous. You must wait patiently and deal with stored up grievances. So we may have this reservoir of resentments, of disappointments, of false beliefs that we've stored up over time, narratives that aren't serving us anymore. I love the word narrative because a lot of the times our reality is crafted through the stories that we tell ourselves. And when we can shift the narrative and write, write new chapters and write new um, futures, uh, our belief systems can really shape our reality. I, I don't think that it's a 100% like you create your own reality. I've, I've let go of that 100% uh, certainty. But I do think that there is some of that in the way that the cosmos works. I think that we're presented with opportunities and I think we get to make some choices through our pranoia. We get to you know, respond in certain ways. That's, that's the essence of responsibility, the ability to respond. So a lot of times fate will bring us challenges and the story that we tell ourselves, whether we are victims or whether we are tapping into our courage to overcome the challenge, can change the outcome of our experience of that. And it could even be that we could have a different experience if we choose to endure something with faith rather than in fear. That also, that's huge, you know, because think of the actions that you might take in fear that you might not take if you were to have faith that this was just part of the process, that this stripping away of your material stability is a part of a greater story that is going to lead to a new uh, divine awareness, right? You know, like maybe by releasing your need to be the dominant center of attention, you know, I'm speaking to myself now, like that will lead to a, a better experience of uh, feeling connected and feeling loved which I think is kind of the ultimate uh, Leonine goal. So they want to feel that responsiveness. You know, they want to feel the love of an audience. And we're in a period of time right now where we just have to do what is in, in alignment with our integrity, whether we get the applause or not. And that's, that's really important. That's a really important shift is there will just be times where we have to do what's right, whether we're getting um, you know, positive feedback for it or not. And um, I think that can be a really liberating experience is when you are liberated from the opinions, the approval, or the feedback of your community, 
you can do some really uh, innovative things. You can do some really incredible things. How many, uh, how many wonderful things could we have missed out on if we had listened to people that said, you know what, that's a crazy idea. Uh, just looking back on this time in 1962, if John Glenn had listened to people and said, you know what, uh, space travel, that's insane. Uh, that is an insane idea. That's too dangerous. You shouldn't do that. Uh, he wouldn't have done something amazing. He wouldn't have done something incredible. He wouldn't have broken through a boundary to a new reality that helps shift our, our worldview and our cosmological worldview on some level. Just imagine those pictures of the earth that came back during these periods of time and how that may have shifted uh, this separation um, narrative that we may have had as countries, as cities, as communities, and showing us that we really are part of one, one wor world and one earth and that we share this planet. Um, and how powerful that could be, and how we may have missed out on that had we given into fear rather than courage to move into the unknown. Okay, so this is this hexagram is moving to number 27, which is called nourishment or jaws. That was another word for this. So this is all about what we feed ourselves, and the questions that we ask with this is what nourishes you? How is hunger motivating you? If you accept this as nourishment, who will you become? So when we ask ourselves, what nourishes us? Yes, we can think about physical things, food, shelter, uh, you know, friends. We can also think about ideas, thoughts, narratives, opinions. And what do we accept into our reality? Where do we get our news? Where do we get uh, our ideas? Um, and is, are those sources uh, lifting you up? Or are they tearing you down? Are they causing you to feel love? Or are they causing you to feel hate and fear? I think that's, that is a good measurement of whether something is a reliable source. Does it inspire you? Or does it make you feel afraid? And does it make you feel that, uh, you know, separate from your, from your fellow human beings? Um, that's what I'm letting guide me right now is, is, is my information coming from a source of love and, and uh, unification? Or is it coming from a sense of uh, separation, anxiety, fear, and all of those things? That doesn't mean a little bit of fear isn't healthy. I, I think that we can make, equal, make an equal, equally uh, large mistake if we just ignore danger or fear. Danger and fear plays just as much of an important role in our experience that sometimes it keeps us safe. So... You know, this is the thing about the Tao. It's seeing the all of our experiences like John Glenn sees the earth as something whole, you know, as something where everything is playing its own its own role and everything is contributing to uh, a story. Okay, so that's what I have for you this week with the sun moving through Aquarius 3. I'll try to do another video for... Venus at the beginning of the week as it moves into the second decan of Aquarius. And we'll talk a little bit more about the new moon on the 11th. Maybe I will try something new and do a live video. Let me know in the comments if that's something that you'd like to do on the 11th. I've been thinking about that and how that might be fun. All right. So that's what I have. I hope that you're all doing well out there and hanging in there. I hope that you are um, finding 
connections with uh, people in your life, with with new ideas. Uh, it's a good time to appreciate uh, some of the core people in your life. I had a, some really nice conversations with some some old friends yesterday that really uh, really lifted me up when I was I was been feeling a little down in the last week or two. I think just the winter doldrums and starting to feel overwhelmed with um, just the world circumstances and just had some really nice conversations with um, some people that was very validating and, and I really appreciate it. So you don't have to have a, uh, it's not the quantity of the people in your community, it's the quality. So if you have a few quality people in your life, reach out to them. Uh, I don't think it, you can always underestimate the impact that one phone call can have with somebody in your life. And in this time of us feeling isolated, I think a lot of us are in need of being able to reach out and offer our, our support, our acceptance, and our, and our wisdom to some of the people in our life. So I would encourage you to do that this week. All right, that's what I've got. Thank you all for hanging out with me and for your support. Leave me a comment. Let me know what you're thinking about leaving behind and what you're moving towards in your new reality. How is your narrative shifting? Um, how can you strip, strip away the old and the past to be able to create new growth in your life? Always enjoy hearing from you. Uh, this is a great community we have here on these channels. Um, if you like the work that I do, please hit that subscribe button, the like button. Uh, if you want to make a material donation to what I'm doing, I have a Venmo at Spencer Michaud or a PayPal me account, paypal.me backslash Spencer Michaud. Um, also, if you need some help and you are thinking about your own chart and you need some help navigating some of these transits, reach out for a reading. There's a link in the description below uh, for my services. And I'm more than willing to work with you if you're having uh, financial difficulties as well. I never want to deny anybody access to a reading. So um, reach out and we'll figure it out. Okay, everyone, that's what I've got for today. Uh, be kind to yourself and be kind to one another. And I will talk to you soon. Peace.